Hello and welcome back to Free Reeling It, a movie-watching podcast with your two friends. My name is Matthew. I am one of the friends. The other of the friends is my buddy Jesse. Jesse, how are you? Howdy. I'm fine. And we also have a very special guest who, if I'm quoting correctly, loves to bring the rancid vibes here. We have full-core enthusiast Maddie Lewis. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm glad to to bring the bad vibes uh, when when y'all uh, asked me if I was interested in coming on again. Of course I was, but also <laughs> I had to think about like what movie because we've done Kill List, which is a bad vibes movie. We've yes. done The Devils, which is a little more fun but still pretty bad vibes. Yes, and then uh, Brimstone and Treacle, which has maybe the worst vibes of any movie I've ever seen personally. So I was like, I can't let I can't let the streak die. So what was a... I I had to think of another movie that had just rancid, terrible vibes. I just just love that every one of the movies you bring is like... It's like a dare. (laughs) You're just like, I dare these two to watch this thing and see what happens. I'm not even like... the, The thing is, in my like social circle, I'm not even the extreme horror girl. I'm not the extreme horror girly. I, I don't don't do like the true endurance test movies, but uh, there's a certain certain flavor of bleakness that really appeals to me. Well, I will say this. Um, uh, well, actually, before I say this, so Maddie, what movie did you bring us this time? So uh, this time I brought you the film Hagazusa. Uh, it's sometimes subtitled A Heathen's Curse, sometimes so, uh, subtitled A Gothic Folktale. Both are pretty apt. This yep. is a 2017 folk horror movie. It's uh, the director directorial debut for, uh, for a feature film for its director, um, Lucas Feigelfeld, I think is how that's pronounced. I think you're correct. Um. And it is a, is a historical, it's a period piece set in the 15th century Alps. Uh, and it is, um, it's a real fucking bummer, let me tell you. <laughs> so, so uh, it, sorry, a little background. I actually fucking hated this movie when I first saw it. Okay. Like, my immediate reaction after I finished this movie was, I fucking hate this. Like, okay. I despise this. But then... Weeks later, I was still thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I kept thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, I can't actually hate something that I keep thinking about this much. And, like, every time I would think about it, I would have more positive things to think about, mm-hmm. and it ended up being, like, actually, like, a really influential, like, like artistically influential thing for me. I have a, a novelette coming out in an uh, anthology with a sm- small small publisher, and this, like particular movie actually is very much in the the dna of that story uh i think uh why i initially reacted so negatively to it was people made a lot of comparisons to the witch which is my all-time favorite movie so i was expecting something more in that vein and other than the full horror historical setting they're actually very different Right, and, uh, and I, this one feels really fucking bad. You get to the end of the witch, and it's really like it's bad, but it's like cathartic. It's like pouring like uh, the ending of the witch is like pouring uh, alcohol over a wound. Like it feels bad, but like it's good too. Uh, yeah. The ending of Hagazusa just feels like letting the wound fester. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I will agree with that statement. I still haven't seen the witch though. Cause oh, maybe I, that'll cause, have to be our next one. Cause it's, honest, it is my favorite movie. It is huh? my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Well, like say that again. So where have you been? Where have I been? I, I've actually said this to Maddie off, like not recording, but on one of these calls, I think twice before I'm waiting to watch it because I want to watch it and talk with her about it when, when I do. So I'm like, and like my buddy who did the theme song for our podcast, he's like, you have to, if you like lighthouse and you like the Northman and you haven't seen the witch, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What I'm hearing is we're going to do a three hour episode uh, where we cover the witch, the lighthouse and Nosferatu when it comes out. No, I would love that. I, I mean, can't don't th- don't threaten me with a good time, sir. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like, um, uh, gosh, the Viking movie, um, the Northman. Nor- Northman. The Northman doesn't really fit the vibes, but I feel like Norse Farachi is going to fit the vibes. Yeah, I think people were kind of like uh, unsure with the Northman because it's actually pretty different from the other two movies. It's a little more like Conan esque, actually. But yeah. Anyway, this is a digression. So yes, I I am having you guys watch a movie that I initially fucking hated, but I now love. <laughs> well, see, and I I found myself in a very similar situation. Like I do, what even is? But then, like a couple of days later, it this is this is this is the effect you have with the movies you bring, Maddie, because I keep thinking about them. Like I'm still I still think about Kill List like once or twice a week. Oh, yeah. No, I think about Kill List <laughs> all the fucking time. Right. Yeah, and I, I know that, you, but I, I think just you love that movie, and I've only seen it, the, the I think, the twice I watched it for our, our show when we did that. But, but, yeah, I still think about it. I'm like, I don't know. I think, I, I think... I think you are you are affecting my movie movie habits and I and I'm here for it. So thank you, Maddie. <laughs> you know, if I do one thing, it's uh, I, I I love to to influence the uh, artistic taste of people that I know. Um, it's it's maybe a little bit um, self absorbed of me, but it just gives me a certain a certain joy when people that I I like uh, watch the things that I enjoy and then also enjoy them. Um, or, or think about them or, or, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a gift. I'm a giver. I like to give people those things, <laughs> those experiences. <laughs> I like I to give a bad, a bad time. time. I do really, I really do. I, um. <laughs> Maddie is the Oprah of handing out bad times. <laughs> yeah. They let me do, uh, uh, I, I'm a library clerk. They had me do a display for, um for the month of October for horror books. It's very funny. I have, we have, I have another coworker who also has a horror display. So hers are like spooky books that like kind of more lit horror. A lot of them are translated. They're spooky, but not like totally scary stuff that like a normal person might pick up for their like, you know, seasonal October Halloween read. My display is pure, like unadulterated, like high, like weapons grade freak shit. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know I'm, what the. I don't know what the people at the the library think. But I have had multiple. Like I, every time I look and go past it, almost every every day, someone's taken something off of it. So hell yeah. I I, I would like to say this is uh, this one this movie I I did not hate, did not despise, I did not uh, leave it going. Well, I'm gonna be a bad time <laughs> on the podcast. So we already know Jesse likes this more than the descent. <laughs> oh, you don't like? Oh, I actually and, like and I, and I, uh It freaks me out though because I'm really claustrophobic, so it's actually like a bad time scare for me. But mm-hmm. um, the descent. Oh, I mean, that we've stated in the episode, but the descent always just left me frustrated more than anything. And maybe that is a good thing, but I don't like being frustrated fair. when I leave a movie. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's not a feeling I enjoy the most. Uh, and that's probably the same, like, kind of kill us. I left uh, less frustrated, but I did leave that movie a little frustrated. But it's grown on me the, the further I've gotten away from it. Yeah, I, I like to try and pick movies that... I, I like to talk about movies that I think are going to grow on people or, like, stick with people. Um, you know, I don't want... Like, I, even if something sticks with me in, like, kind of a bad way, I'd rather have that than something that just, like, washes over me. And, like, the second I'm not watching it anymore, I just don't think about it. Yeah. Well, shall we start on Hagazusa? Yeah, let's let's do. Let's go for it. So, uh, Maddie, I want you to start, if that's okay. What with a the, the plot? Basically, sure. We or? could do. We could do plot. We could talk. I mean, because I honestly, I think we could cover the plot in 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 a few. Quick there's sentences. not much of one there's it's, there's not there's there's very little dialogue there's very little like actual i mean i, I say li- very little actual story but like if i were to ex- like a lot of my coworkers know that i they that I, on um during long breaks like i will throw on a movie on my phone and watch it and when i they ask me like what i'm watching and i explain them to them they're like i don't know what that's supposed to be about and i go that's fine but like this is what I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. And um, I luckily I didn't have to try and explain Hagazusa to them because I think they might have, they might be a little more distant to me than they already are. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think we could probably say. I mean, we could probably just succinctly uh, deal with the plot. Like, and however you feel like, you go ahead. All right, so uh, this movie is, uh, it's divided into, like, four parts. Uh, the first is called Shadows. It's when the main character, her name's Albrun, is young, living with her mother. Uh, the mother becomes very ill um, with, she's got, like, growths, like, under her armpits and is, like, mm-hmm. coughing and stuff. It's kind of implied that it's maybe the plague. Um, and her mental state starts to deteriorate and deteriorate. And, uh, kind of towards the end of this sequence, uh, her mom, it's kind of difficult to tell what exactly is, like, going on, and it's really pretty gross, but, uh, they're in, like, in the bed together, and the mom just starts kind of, like, feeling up on the daughter, and, like, smears her, like, it, I assume it's menstrual blood, like, over her face, and the, the girl runs out. Um, Yeah. The mother, uh, the mother dies, uh, or no, the, not the girl runs out. The mother runs out into the winter, like cold, mm-hmm. uh, and in the morning, Auburn finds her mother dead. 
Yes. So that's the first part. That's 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 really pretty much all that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, prior to this, there there are some men who are all kind of like disguised in these uh, like kind of primitive looking like skin and horn costumes, and they're like banging on their door, calling them witches, telling them they should be burned, um, all of these things. Uh, so they're they're like clearly living as like pariahs and outcasts even from yeah. the beginning of the of the story although you never really see them do anything that's like especially witchy even in that part yeah they're just out there living their lives they're just that's... out there living <laughs> it's not great then the uh the next segment and this is i think the longest of them is titled horn um, and it's set some years in the future. Um, Alberon has an infant daughter, though uh, who the father is not in the picture, so it's it's unclear um, if it was like a, a fling with someone, or if it was the result of like an assault, mm-hmm. or if it, it's you get the vibe that she and she's not like a widow or anything. Like she doesn't right. have a husband. Um, yeah. But the actual like paternity of her father or of her baby is never actually spelled out who who the the child's father is. So she just uh, she's living on her own with her goats. She and um, she's going into town to sell the milk and is kind of harassed by these townspeople because they all have this like superstition about her they all think that her mother was a witch and that she's a witch um but uh this woman uh kind of like tells them to like you know fuck off and like starts treating uh her uh, albert a little nicer and swindus uh eventually stops by um, albert's cottage to tell her the the village priest wants to talk to her they walk to town together there's this scene in this local church which has this really cool ossuary, which, um, do you know what, do you know what that means? Do I have to yeah, it's, I should it's probably, like, I should probably explain it. It's not that common of a Yeah, it's not, term. it's not very common of a word. I mean, I know what it means, but, uh, but yeah. it's like a, S- it's, Some listeners may or may not. It's, yeah. um. A room full of skulls, basically. Skulls. It's all decorated with all of these skulls. Um, he has this conversation with her talking about how, like, since she's so isolated and so estranged, like it can lead to temptation towards like sacrilege. Um, and then he hands her the skull that, uh, it was her mother's skull. It's been like polished and painted and he gives that to her and she takes it home with her and kind of makes almost like a little bit of an altar mm-hmm. of it. Um, and then kind of later, uh, the same woman as before her name Swinda. She like comes and visits again. Uh, but, uh, kind of starts talking like in a, a very not super nice way on the way down from there, like walk up the mountain. Uh, they meet this guy uh, who I, you get the impression that he's maybe like a friend of Swinda's or like they know each other somehow, but yeah. he like this, this is the hardest scene I think in the whole thing to watch. Probably it's not shot in that, particular well actually it's the second hardest scene to watch um yeah (laughs) yeah he's not it's not shot in like a very graphic way but um the like swinda who she thinks is like her friend like holds her down and like 
while the yeah. man rapes her and is just like telling her how like disgusting she is. Yeah. And uh, after it, you know, she uh, Albert like kind of lays there for a long time. You get the impression, but when she returns home, she finds all of her goats have been stolen except for one that's been just like mutilated. Uh, and then this is like the one kind of like bad bitch moment in the entire movie because everything else is very like. Like, you just feel so bad for this character. Yeah, so she's, she's put just through like, the fucking ringer. Oh, my God. Absolutely through the ringer. <laughs> like, having the worst time a person has had. Um, and uh, the, the one bad bitch moment is she, like, goes to the local water source, drops a dead rat into it, and then pisses into the stream. And, yep. like... That night, she kind of like has a like a prayer, or like a commune, kind of with her with her mother's skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next part's pretty short. She comes to town while she's holding the ch- her her baby. Um, there are like dead bodies. Trans- it's it's unclear how much time has actually passed between these um the sections. The next section's called blood. Um. She's going into town, but sees, like, dead bodies being carted away. So she's caused some kind of plague uh, by It's definitely a bring out your dead from Monty Python. Yeah, it's hard to watch that particular, like, a cart of... Like, if you've seen Monty Python, it's hard to watch, like, a... It's hard to watch a scene of a cart of plague bodies being taken away without kind of thinking, bring bring out your dead, like, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So she sees this. On the way back, she, like, stops in the woods, uh, eats a mushroom, and uh, it was not one of the mushrooms you should eat. So she's, like, hallucinating and having, like, psychotic breaks. This part's filmed, like, in a much trippier way than the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, She walks into this stagnant pond with her daughter, and the daughter drowns. The baby drowns. And then she sinks under the water with her eyes open. So you think maybe it's kind of over, but then the final bit is called fire. Um, she is like hallucinating, like hearing her mother breathing, seeing these shadows move. She discovers the body of the baby daughter, uh, which she'd like, I guess, almost like in a fugue state, hadn't realized what had happened. But when she realized what's happened, she's like seized with grief. She's just, just terribly horrified by this. But at the same, but th- this is the part that just, like, fucked me up. So she's clearly, like, devastated that this has happened. And her reaction to this devastation, because she, clearly she's still, like, she's still, like, not in her right mind. Like, she's still experiencing these, like, psychotic, uh, I, I don't, I mean psychotic in, like, the clinical sense. Like, break with reality. Sure, um, yeah. Like, emotions. And in her psychosis, she puts the corpse into the soup that's like boiling over the hearth and like lets it cook a little bit and then eats from it and then starts screaming again, throws up, has this hallucination of her mother laughing. Uh, And the last scene is you see her walking in out of the, you, you see her like, Oh, okay, so she's flees the cot. She's fled the cottage. Uh, she's left because she's you know terrified that by this kind of specter of her mother. Uh, the last scene is her in the morning lying down. Her eyes have been like clouded over. She just lies down and dies. And it's 
still for a second, and then her body just bursts into flame. And the very last, the end shots of that are of the, you know, this beautiful, like, alpine scenery with this corpse just burning. Yeah. So, wholesome family entertainment, to say the least. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's really fun for the whole family. I'm yeah. I'm sure if I showed any of this to my my partner who is a who is a new mother, I'm pretty sure she'd just enjoy it. Um, now, yeah, this is one wherever when I'm talking to people about it, I usually warn people who like have children. I don't know that I did that for you, so I probably should have. Um, we had we hadn't really talked since I since. Aton was born but it's fine like th- th- like honestly like i think a lot of that colored my reaction to the to the film but also like i under i i understand the difference between i understand i understand that it's art rather than and it's not like it doesn't affect me that deeply but i know if i had showed it to reba she might kill me so um so yeah this is i'm like i'm like reba you don't want to watch this one you can sit this one out um but that's fine I'm I'm I I appreciate a content warning but I if if I don't get one I'm not like bothered per se. Uh Jesse. Yeah, okay, well, well that makes me feel a little bit better because I realized like literally just at like just at when you uh you you, you know you DM'd me with a link mm-hmm. that you you said yeah sorry sorry we had to do dad stuff and I was like oh fuck I forgot to <laughs> warn him. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so, uh, so Maddie, you great job. Um, Jesse, any thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, um, this movie sucks, but not in like a bad way. Um, you know, you know, like the running joke when someone like gets knocked down in a comedy and they just start kicking the guy. Or if you know the Jojo meme from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure where they, everybody's like sipping wine and they see one guy beating another guy up and they're like, oh, should we join in? And they just all start <laughs> kicking him. Like, it's just like yeah. a hard cut to them all kicking him. Um, that's the progression of this movie at times where it's like this, this bad thing happens. It's pretty terrible. And then you're like, huh, okay things are seemingly okay then hard cut she's just getting (laughs) beaten to death (laughs) by life like it it happens pretty pretty sharply um and i i found myself not only impressed with the visual language of the movie of how there's two different ways to have a bad time. There's the way I have a bad time by like painting a picture of a bad time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they're showing you the bad time and they never really fully show you the bad time. They just paint the picture so perfectly, like the framing of everything, the, the language of the way it's shot and the sound design kind of all play together to paint you that picture of the bad time. So, yeah, you know the thing that's, that's really interesting, a lot, about a lot of the more, the more like shocking moments in the film is if you just look at them completely, like as objectively as you are able to, they're not that graphic, right? Correct. Like in the grand, like, yeah, you don't really see 
the gory details that much. Like, you don't see the the particularly explicit stuff. It's usually implied. It's off-camera. Um, for the most part, most of the really bad stuff in this movie is... It, yeah, I think, like, it's more, like, an impressionistic rather than photorealistic. Mm-hmm. But somehow it almost, like... It almost makes it worse because you have to, like, it gives you enough detail to force you to imagine it. And I think forcing you to imagine it rather than just showing it to you somehow, to me at least, sometimes can have where if I'm just shown something, I just kind of let it wash over me. Um, If something forces me to imagine something to, like, actively use my brain it sinks its hooks in a lot harder. It can't, it doesn't wash over me as much. So even if the actual imagery is objectively not that explicit for what's, what's happening, it's, it hits just as hard or harder. Yeah. So I, I having, um, when I finished watching it, watching this um i sat back and i'm like i'm not sure what any of this was other than like so i i had a couple of i I had one silly thought i'm just going to say that and i thought immediately after the movie i'm like a lot of this there was there were there were easy ways for a lot of this to seemingly be avoided. And I know this is this is reductive on my part. I know this is um uh a a a silly interpretation, but when um when Swinda comes to the house and sees the skull like there's a moment where she could have gone oh what's that and i feel like they could have had a conversation about you know her mother if if faith was a thing in their life it instead of just you know oh i see a skull that's that's a blanket statement you know this person is different than everybody in the village and they need to be dealt with um, and then, you know, she, then they go on a walk. She makes some very, very problematic comments about, about pagans and Jews. And, um, and next thing you know, uh, Albrin's being, uh, assaulted. But thinking about it different. So, so one of the, uh, one of the things I like about this movie is that there's so little dialogue. So there are so many places for interpretation to just come into it. And this actually had me thinking about the idea of the, the, of of the, it had me thinking about the idea of a witch in terms of, not in terms of like what they symbolize, you know, being that this is hollow spooky season, but I think it's, it's, and and this I'm probably I know I'm probably gonna sound a little bit naive here I don't know I, I know I I I assume everybody else in the room just knows more more than I do about this situation. Um, I mean to be fair, if I am in a room and the room is not people who are like actual like full on scholars about it about like 
witch history and folklore, um, I'm probably the person in the room who knows the most. In, <laughs> like, 90% of the time. <laughs> so, and, and then recently we had watched um, The Seventh Seal, and there's... Oh, I love The Seventh Seal. There's the young woman who's accused of being a witch. And I think this is more. This movie is more of a statement on fearing what you don't know and hating what you fear. And but this is this isn't so much from the the point of view of those doing the hating. This is from the opposite side. And and I just I I mean, like we've all said, I feel so bad for Al Brun and. There's, there was so much that just seems to be set in stone for her. And there's, there's no meaningful way for her to, to, to get out from under it. And, and it sucks, but it had me think it had, it, I, I somehow, after having all those thoughts, I came out more empathetic, uh, for her than I did anything else like I, I i mean yes this movie is shot amazingly i love the fact that it was funded on kickstarter partially um and i think that the the element like i don't think there's any sort of wasted elements in it at all no it's like it, the way it's filmed is it is really gorgeous. If you if you like to look at beautiful but melancholy and kind of spooky, like mountains and misty forests and that kind of thing, like if that scenery just like sparks something in you, like you will if, get a lot of that. It is beautifully filmed. Yeah, like if you if you follow the, uh, dark gloomy art on Instagram, like a lot of this is there. Oh, but, I follow dark gloomy art on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and but like a, less, less, but it's more of just the pastoral, you know, environments of that rather than a lot of the foreground in that. But yeah, this this. What this, I like actually about and I. I I, I, I like about this is how many of the kind of establishing shots are so far back or mm-hmm. so high up because it really like the visual language of that really emphasizes the isolation of the main character like she's so cut off from everyone else she's so distant from everybody else um, and I think it was like a really good choice to frame it in that way that made her feel so small while yeah. the interiors, a lot of the interiors, because they use very small spaces, like these, like the, her cottage is like it's so tiny. tiny. Like so realistically, tiny. that's probably like if you were someone in the 15th century Alps and you had a cottage in the mountains, that's probably exactly what it would have been like. But it's shot like in such a small space, and they. I don't know if all the lighting they were using was natural, but like they don't, they have a lot of kind of low light scenes. Mm-hmm. And the, so you have that contrasted with like the darkness and the closeness of the house with this wide open beauty of the mountain. So the kind of like the interplay between like claustrophobia and like this sense of like smallness and insignificance is, is really interesting visually. And I think it kind of puts you in the mind of the main character a lot because Yes, she is very, very distant from everyone around her. She's very isolated. Um, but also, she's very trapped. 
like in the role that has been societally prescribed for her and the role is in her role like as woman as mother as witch like there's she's so trapped by that there's not much else that she can do so i think the claustrophobia of those interior shots is also like the really interesting that's that's what i was thinking about too is like the um idea of being accused of being a witch and this kind of plays into stuff that happens in the witch which is like there's almost no escaping the accusation in any in really any age before the oh no which see oh i'm sorry i'm I'm gonna get really pedantic here um if you are going i know what you you, if you say modern in the sense of like contemporary like now that's true however uh historically the witch craze is a modern phenomenon because the uh, modern period by uh historians is starts like this uh beginning of the 16th century yeah, yeah, I should I should say the, like yes the technological. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Asia this is me being like now. really pedantic like... here, but like that's a pet peeve of mine. No, <laughs> no you're totally fine. Um, please feel free to be as pedantic as you like. If not for je- definitely for me, because I ne- always need to learn something. So <laughs> I could definitely learn more. That's for sure. But um, it's it's just the idea that like and. In- yeah, actually, this movie, the setting of it, time period-wise, is actually, I think, too early for... A, a little too early, but, um... Because uh, it's, it's in the, the 15th century, and the witch panic really started picking up in the uh, 16th and 17th. Yeah, I've been listening to uh, just a lot, maybe because it's October, just a lot about random witch trials that aren't, like, the main big ones. Um... It's it's just like once you're once you're accused, it's so inescapable, even mm-hmm. if you can survive it, and kind of make it out with your life or running away to a new town or anything like just the the burden on you and the pseudo guilt that's being put upon you feels like feels like a weight that just you drag around no matter where you go and and usually it drags you down usually it kills, it kills you because you can't what get away from the accusation. What I also like about um, this and it's kind of along those lines is uh it's like so and the entire movie she never actually Albert never does any anything that's not just you know at worst a little odd. She's a little distant, she's a little weird. But she doesn't do anything that's wrong. She doesn't do anything that's malicious. I, I guess other than po- until the point where she's like been so betrayed, and because of the perception that people have of her, that she just kind of snaps and starts doing, huh, witch things, poisoning mm-hmm. water sources, yeah, cooking and eating infants. Um, and I think that's that's the one thing that this actually really does share with the witch because it has this in- initial thing where you take this person who is initially is wholly innocent of any actual wrongdoing but perceived as being a little different. Yep. And by the end of it, they have become exactly what they were accused of being even when they weren't. And I think that's something that you see happen all the time. Um, you take someone, like a, a rumor starts about somebody that they're this way, and they never actually were that way, but eventually it gets said enough that 
they either they start to believe it or they feel like they have no other option or they just you know at some point sometimes you just say fuck it you're gonna call me this i'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. yeah you you hit that point where you just kind of want it to be over you want to be done with it and i think that's like part of the scene where and this is the story of how i went from being a good christian girl to agnostic with pagan sympathies (laughs) i think this is (laughs) oh this is your story too maddie cool cool no this is this is why why witch narratives um have a a special and particular resonance for me it's it's the religious trauma but um you were saying jesse go ahead Oh, it's just like when she's in the water and she she basically just lets her child drown. It's 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 the moment of I'm just mm-hmm. done. I'm done with it all. I'm done with it. But she doesn't. The movie ends with her not. There there is no end. There there's no end of this. There's no ending to the movie. The movie finishes. The movie the the real stop playing. The the credits technically roll. But there's no end for her because there's no end of this path after yeah. after it starts, especially then. Yeah, it's it's a boulder rolling down a mountain. Pardon the pun. Um, but uh, and one of the things I as horrifying as the scene where she walks into the water with the child is part of me. And I, th- I don't know if this is the empathetic part or just the, um, or just, or just the wholly optimistic part. Part of, cause like, I feel like at the beginning of the movie, um, the, this burden is sort of laid on Alburn by her mother somehow. I think the, 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 Se- I, mean, I, I want to say semi-assault, but if it's a full-on assault, I'm not, I'm not arguing that at all. But it's it's the, bad. The, inci- the incident. Whatever happens is not good. Yeah, yeah, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah, this is not. This is this is not wholesome family relations here. Um, but the incident at the beginning of the movie with her mother, I kind of feel like that the symbol there is. This has been my burden. It is now yours. You're marked with it, literally. Yeah, and. And I think Al Brun, because she's kind of haunted by her mother's voice as she hears it several times throughout the film, uh, she doesn't want the cycle to continue on to her daughter. So somehow, some way, she feels that there's part of me that wants to believe she's saving her daughter. In or the or most, thinks in, that she is. Or, yeah, or in the most horrifying way possible. Um, a very Toni Morrison's beloved way. Yeah, exactly. If you've read that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know about it. I have not read it. But. Oh, no, it's the best book I've ever read. Like, I, yeah, like I, I'm not going to say necessarily that it's my favorite book I've ever read or the book that I enjoyed the most, but it is the best book I have ever read. Okay. Um, and... I'm also wondering, I've, and this is something I, I wanted to bring up, like there are a whole lot of, there's there's very little at the beginning, but somehow 
some of the lingering things that stick with me not are not necessarily the um the people saying that they're witches and need to be burned but when they're walking in the snow on their way home and they they meet the man at the beginning and he's like i'm trying to avoid the perkta or uh and i'm wondering if if that's something you know anything about maddie sure is so um (laughs) Uh, Perkta is a figure out of, um, out of, like, kind of Germanic area folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, like, a pagan goddess of, uh, kind of in the, like, Alpine region. And she, I believe, has, um... I believe she has like a like a, a uh, she's kind of like a winter winter figure I believe okay. um, I'm sorry I actually thought I knew more I did but I was thinking of a different uh, a, a, a different uh, Germanic folk figure um, oh no the reason I was is because she sometimes gets associated with um, various other uh, kind of pre-Christian Germanic like deity type figures. Uh, and I believe she's one of the ones who's sometimes said to be involved in the, uh, the wild hunt. Uh, so she does have like a sort of sideways association with that. Um, so the, the kind of like the woodsman or whoever who like talks to them is kind of, telling like that gets you to the um you know it gets you to that so kind of you understand like there still is some paganism around or some superstition about this uh but it also puts it into places like yeah these are things that they fear these are not things that are worshipped anymore this is not a figure Um, okay yeah so 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 perkta is like a kind of a yeah, she's she's a pagan goddess. Okay. Now, just to ask the dumb question, when you uh, like, are pagan goddesses, gods and goddesses, pagan deities, are they sort of categorized like Greek mythology or no? Um, it depends. Um, the and in, in the sense that they're uh, most pagan religions that get called pagan, they're going to be polytheistic, which is like greek and roman so yeah more or less if they'll have like a pantheon of gods usually the different gods will either control like have dominion over different things Mm -hmm. um like different ideas or concepts or sometimes over different regions like there are some that are just purely regional it's like this like this particular valley is this deity she's you know this goddesses or or what have you um but the the folklore and the mythology surrounding a lot of of um it's not as like so it's not like greek and roman mythology where you have like a lot of really solid stories right that may you know but they they may have like slightly different versions based on region or or time but you know you have these stories that are well known and well documented uh and there's a little bit more of a continuity uh or like Norse mythology where you have the sagas 
to talk about a lot. There are, it's not as, and there's like a lot of syncretism too between like the Germanic deities with Norse, with um, like going to the Gauls as well. There's a lot of kind of overlap there. So it's, and there's some that are just like, they don't have very many like surviving mentions and things. So we can kind of like guess what they were, but Mm -hmm. we don't know like a whole lot. And Perk does one who's like mm, not not known, but she's not one that has like a really set narrative. It's not like how you have like the myth of uh, like Hades and Persephone in Greek myth, right. where that's like a, there's a set narrative, there's variations on it, but like that's the story you know with like those personages, I guess. Well, right, and I'm and I'm sure that the the way that you know uh the way that you know wars and different waves of colonialism went a lot of that got erased too uh just because like i'm pretty sure the roman empire (laughs) dealt with had a pretty decent sized hand in getting rid of some of that mythology somehow Oh, you think the Roman Empire no. would preserve a culture? <laughs> I mean, they would preserve their own. That would be about it. And I think the only I think the only reason we know about Greek mythology is through the Roman Empire. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that like yeah. is you know, people moved, wars happen, things shifted around. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like even there was even some syncretism in like uh, in the Roman Empire, like the the uh, Gaulish horse goddess Epona was commonly worshipped by Roman cavalrymen because she was so well known by yeah. um, cavalrymen like in, in who were in that kind of region. Mm-hmm. So that would be like well, I mean, and that's a, a nice instance of oh, we like this one, so we'll keep it. You know? Yeah, uh, Isis was worshipped and I want to say Greece was fairly popular. So there was actually, like, there's also, that's another thing that makes some of these hard, is there's, like, quite a bit of regional syncretism where people would, you know, would like, yeah, like with the, the Roman cavalrymen, they encounter the Gauls, and the Gauls have this goddess of horses, and they are like, oh, we like this one, we ride horses. Nice horse god, we'll take that, thank you. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, it was never, like, so, yeah, yeah, so a lot of these, like, like, pagan deities don't have as much about them, or, or, like, especially if they're smaller and regional and not, like, attached to uh, a huge former empire like Rome. (laughs) Or something like the the, the Norse sagas, which are just, like, well-recorded. Yeah. Um is now and this is my last question about this and then we can we can move on is perkta a name or is it like a type like is is perkta like a it's it's the name okay i didn't know if that was like athena or if it was like perkta was a name like the fates where there's a group of them no it's it's a name um there are so in certain folklore about her she has kind of like a retinue or entourage and the People or spirits in that retinue or entourage are sometimes called Perktin, but Perkta is like her name. 
And yeah, she's she is. I, I was right. I couldn't remember if she was one of the ones who was associated with the Wild Hunt, but she is sometimes associated with the leader of the Wild Hunt. Which do we do? I need to explain that one. Uh, no, I? If you want, if you want, I, I yeah. I mean, if you played if you played uh, the Witcher Wild Hunt, it's actually like not that far off a lot of the folklore. But in um, uh, basically northern Europe and uh, the uh, the British Isles, kind of throughout this, they all have variations on um, this idea of the Wild Hunt, which is like it's a kind of like a hunt of like sometimes spirits sometimes ghosts sometimes demons or other uh gods uh will go kind of hunt like hunting out like usually the wicked sometimes they'll transform people into animals to hunt them sometimes people will uh, actually hunt with them but it's um associated with winter time as well uh which which Perkta also is Okay, so um, I have to I I have to actually jump um, because my wife just called me and she needs some help upstairs. So I'm going to exit the podcast early. I apologize. Uh, Not I will a let, problem. I will let you two continue. I understand. And uh, Maddie, always a pleasure. And I hope you come back again. We got to watch The Witch together. So we'll have to do that at <laughs> some point. Make it like a, a monumentous, like my my fifth time or my tenth time. We'll talk about the witch. Well, well this is your, this. I <laughs> this is my is your, fourth. So we can make it. We can make Maddie's five times. <laughs> so the fifth time, fifth time we'll do the witch. The sixth time um, we'll do um, We also need to do pool party um, massacre. As- <laughs> oh no, it is fun. That but I think like it would fun. be a good swerve. And uh, I, I'm be- I, I started off being a pool party massacre evangelist as a bit. But uh, I don't think it's ironic. I, I actually uh, legitimately love that piece of shit movie. <laughs> I mean, all right, go have fun taking care of your family. Bye. So, I mean, I think we can kind of get into final thoughts, and we get them. You can help me sure. do the wrap up spiel. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I I, th- I think the biggest thing for me, the reason like it stuck with me, is the no ending aspect of it, which a lot of people will probably bounce off on. I have a pretty, it's it's becoming looser the 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 older I get. But when I was first started getting into horror, I had a really like, don't bum me out at the end, <laughs> kind of rule with horror. Like if I'm gonna enjoy you, I have to feel somewhat satisfied with the ending. Um, that's why like I really bounced off. Uh, uh, is it Sinister? Yeah, the probably, Ethan Hawke yeah. movie. I mean, he's been in a couple horror movies, but I think that's yeah, the most I bounced off one of his. Yeah, I bounced off that. I think I, that's grown on me since because like that doesn't <laughs> that that's a big bummer of a movie at the end. Um, I bounced off a few others because of that, um, and I think there's a difference between like feeling unsatisfied at the end of a horror movie, being frustrated by the horror movie. The frustration comes from kind of character choices and. Um, design choices and uh just like what are we doing (laughs) what are we doing here what are we trying to portray um but the older i get the the more i like the meaner stuff the the more um unsatisfying unfulfilled kind of endings in horror um 
and this one really just stuck with me because of how brutal it is up and to the point. And it stops being brutal and it just starts and it leaves you kind of just with the the melancholy of it all. Yeah, it, it leaves you very. It, I mean, it, it it like it kind of like works you up and works you up slowly because it's a very slow paced movie, and then. And by the end of it, it's all just like so terrible that you almost become numb. <laughs> yeah, it really, it, and I think that's maybe why the movie ends in a melancholy note instead of a brutal note because you are so numb. It's like, what else can we do? To yeah, you? how else can we torture more you? More you, you could do at that point. Um, and I think the yeah, there's. There's a sense of inevitability, which is what makes it so tragic, because you you look at all of the circumstances, uh, every societal bias, all the circumstances of this character's life, everything we know about her and the world that she lives in, and you're like, there was no, it's, it's not, it's physics. There's no other way this could have gone. Yeah. And and it kind of it leaves you in a place of the world too of like this. It feels like the cycle is about to like it's going to repeat itself, and there's nothing you can kind of do about it. There's there's no way that this fate could have been changed or intervened. Like she was, uh, you talked about earlier, but like she's just destined to end up here. Yeah, and I think that um, another movie that I think kind of wrestles with that that idea a little bit too is hereditary kind of wrestles with the idea of like what is what is worse if you are in control of your fate and bad things happen or if it was always going to happen and i think yeah i think this one puts forth the argument that it feels pretty fucking bad when it's completely inevitable but in kind of a yeah because i i like I used I used to be the same way where when I was younger I wanted I liked horror movies but I wanted a, some kind of catharsis or like for someone to survive or the monster to be beaten or something and that's something I wanted when I was younger and like starting to watch horror movies but now I'm like I become increasingly more open to and appreciative of movies that just refuse to let me have that yeah and it, it, it is like the the director kind of showing you their hand in a way of like w their world view in those endings not necessarily like how negative everything is but like how with art we we play such a passive role and i feel like doing those endings makes you turn from passive to active in some ways where like you get out of your seat, you get frustrated, you get mad, you you have debates like this, you discuss right like sometimes those unsatisfying endings really get the audience kind of out of their 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 fog of watching something into the thought process of why did we get here, how did we get here, what are yeah we sometimes to say I here? think you just need a movie to just like disrespect you a little bit, just like slap you in the face. And um, I think this one kind of does. It does not care about your feelings. And in, in fact, maybe wants to make you feel bad. And 
I don't know. I, I get increasingly frustrated with the kind of strain of media criticism and just like res- media like responses that people have where they want everything to make them feel good in some way. And I yeah. think I like you got to have art that makes you feel bad sometimes. It builds character. Like it makes you yeah. actually think cuz people often make the argument it's like, "Well, why isn't, you know, comfort and joy just as deep as as sad feelings?" And I'm like, "Because they don't make you think." That's a good thing. It doesn't they don't make but they don't make you think. Yeah. Something has to be not right to need fixed to make you think. If everything is going as it should, if you're com- totally comfortable, if you're totally happy, you don't have to think, and you shouldn't. You should just enjoy it, and the t- and you know as it's happening. Um, but yeah, I I think that it's like you know um, I I almost like the process of how how I like began to feel about this movie, and I I it's almost like a like a, a microcosm of how I've grown to feel about horror. Uh, as a whole, and especially the kind of bleaker, or meaner, or less cathartic, less optimistic horror, um, is like, you know, when, you know, a pearl, it starts with, like, just this irritant, just, just grain of sand, but as it, you know, it keeps irritating you, but it keeps, and it keeps irritating, it keeps irritating, but as it's doing this, it just is like, a, you know accumulating this beautiful pearl and eventually it stops irritating and you're left with this just gorgeous pearl of understanding and i think that movies that make you feel bad do that yeah there there was an interview i watched i think yesterday it's an older interview with uh, martin scorsese where he he, he's one of the, the best structures oh, that I people feel, take out of context I, every time someone talks shit um, about scorsese i just like you don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. The man has done more for cinema as an art form than almost any individual in living memory. Yeah, I think this was somewhere in the 90s this interview took place. And he must have made some comment about how the violence in movies has kind of gotten outrageous or something like that. And he's like, people talk like, why are you complaining about violence in movies when you make the most violent movies? He goes, I make violence in the reality of the world. I make violence not for the joy not for the pleasure but like these men are have these choices to make they're finally hitting these points in their life what choice are you going to make and guess what when you make that scary it feels bad yeah it's scary it's messy you're these are the repercussions that come from it even if you get away with it they don't leave these scenarios unscarred and he's like, and he's like, I grew up with it. I saw it every day. I, I grew up with the mafia. Like I, I see pe- I saw people die. This is the only way I can show these choices. But when you're doing violence for the like, uh, to be like, look at this. Isn't this fun? It's like that's a different type of violence. That's a different type of thing you're showing on the screen. And I, I that the the latter debates here and there, but I do think that's like where his movies kind of set themselves apart. When people are like, oh, she's the gangster films. Like, no, he's really diving deep into like these the psychology of these choices and like the the feelings that people process through in these choices i think that's kind of where this is right like he's never he's he's doing all these brutal things to her in the movie in the story not to be mean or brutal but to show like these actions have these impacts and you're watching the ripples of the impact 
Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely like on the money that uh and it it's really effective, I think. Um but I can this is one of those movies where like I can definitely see why people like would just be frustrated with it because it is so slow-paced. There's so little dialogue, there's so little resolution. Uh, there's no real catharsis and it just doesn't really give you it doesn't hold your hand or give you answers for things like there's a lot of things that are just kind of ambiguous like who was Albrun's father who's the father of Albrun's baby like how did how did Albrun feel about the father because I think knowing that might help you make more sense of what happened to her child but or interpret what happened to her, what you know what she allowed to happen to her child how like you would interpret that differently if you had different information there maybe but it doesn't give you that but but having the 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 empty space of the father in this movie too also shows kind of a history of abandonment of uh carelessness maybe of, violence um, we don't know poor decisions yeah but well, the only other man that we yeah. see is violent, right? Like he is yeah, extremely the violent priest. to her, and yeah. But it, it's just kind of like those are the two things we see: is like the priest and 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 then the rapist. <laughs> like that's your choice of uh, father or husband, right? Like that's what he presents you with the two people that he gives you. Yeah. So I think. I, yeah, that was actually a point that like frustrated me a bit that we didn't know like who the father was because I'm like if I don't know who the father is I don't really know fully how to interpret her allowing the baby to drown and then eating it like because I I, like that's a that that action takes on I feel like very different interpretations if you know it was like a love affair whether it be a, a husband or just someone she you know liked or cared about or just you know just some little like fling or if it was you know if the baby was the product of a rape you don't know but that would that would color that ending differently if you knew that and you in the first time i watched the movie it really frustrated it that it didn't give me that answer but i think not having that answer almost reinforces the inevitability of it it's like it it doesn't matter what that answer is it would have happened anyway it's it's not it's physics yeah well maddie is there any other final thoughts you wanted to push Um, about i would like to i I would say if you saw this film previously and thought that you hated it maybe watch it one more time if you can make yourself and you might appreciate it more because i certainly appreciated it more on the rewatch than i did when i first watched it um, the other thing that, the, but the thing that that really changed, and I think I think this actually helps me appreciate it more too. Uh, the first was that I I came to it on its own terms, where when I watched it initially, I had the the witch in mind too much, um, and was disappointed that it wasn't more like that. Um, but the other thing I think that made made this hit a lot harder was, I don't know, just kind of like in light of the pandemic and like seeing social order kind of fall apart a little bit more and being isolated from people more and it being kind of hard to readjust and all of that. I like everything that was happening. I'm just like, 
girl, I get it. Like, I get it. So I think that uh, going through a little more collective hell uh, myself uh, did make me appreciate the movie more and kind of empathize with and understand the main character better. Yeah, it was definitely a movie where I was going into it and I'm like, what what am I about to what am I what am I about to reach into? What world am I about to crawl into? Um but I knew kind of going into that this movie was going to be a harder one. So I I I go like, okay, let's just see what it's trying to give me. It's definitely not perfect. I think there could be more to it like you talked about how you want to know the father i think i i just want more yeah i think that's that's the main thing is i'm like i kind of wish it had just a little bit more dialogue Uh, yeah just a little more uh, and there's a little there's a couple things i wish came back that didn't come back much at all like um uh, i'm trying to remember now exactly it does it doesn't really matter the, the exact but there's like a few like theming things where i'm like Oh, can we can we revisit this theme for a second and like play it now in this sense and in this context to see how it plays out? Um, but I think that's kind of the sometimes with the initial director like sometimes those things just they miss them. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean I kind of like went in like knowing that this is gonna challenge me, so I let it challenge me and I let it be that kind of movie and, and I, I ended up enjoying it much more than I thought I would go yeah well, I'm glad I didn't you know put you through something miserable in the the bad way instead of miserable in the, the kind of you know at least it made you think or feel something way uh so Maddie where can people find you so um I guess if you still for whatever reason want to brave the hell site that is twitter I'm on Twitter at Devil's Doorbell underscore. Um, if you'd uh, rather, uh, I'm also on Blue Sky at uh, Devil's Doorbell dot Blue Sky dot whatever social, I think. Um, and then I also have a, um, I have a digital store and uh, with a couple short stories and I'm actually going to have another one coming up there pretty soon here, like in the next week or two, um, that you can pay what you'd like, including nothing to download and read. And you can find me there. Um, it is devil's doorbell.itch.io. And I've got a uh, five stories up mostly kind of the, the dark fantasy vein. Uh, I've also got some werewolf smut if that's what you're into. Uh, and uh the the one i've got coming out soon is science fiction which is a bit of a departure maddie is a, an incredible writer uh so i highly recommend finding all of her work anywhere you can find it uh, i've also got a uh a, an, a novelette coming out in an anthology with bleeding edge books that should be coming out i think in november um and uh, the anthology is called Strange Echoes. I believe the pre-order is up on Amazon. And you can find Matthew uh, pretty much everywhere at infinite underscore rewind or infinite uh, dash rewind or infinite dot rewind. Um, you can find me everywhere basically at Sleeper of the Bed. You can find this show basically everywhere at Free Reeling It. We're only on Twitter, Tumblr, and Blue Sky currently. Um, 
and you can find the Pursuit Desert theme song at, let me pull that up, Matthew usually does this part, so I don't have it memorized, but at Dead Eye Productions, that's D-E-A-D-I, as in the letter I, Productions, uh, done by Matthew's friend Jason, who does reggae music, it, uh, this came off on his album uh, a couple years ago, he hasn't really made an album since, but check it out, it's all in the description, um, and yeah, the we really... Again, once again, want to say we support the actor strike that's still going on. Uh, glad the writers got their deal. I uh, want the actors to get theirs. The studios are dumb if they think they're going to try to do this again and drag this out again. Um, but if they do, it'll hurt them in the long run, not nobody else. Uh, but yeah, I think next episode we're going to talk about the movie After Sun. So another fun, depressing movie. Um, I picked it. Matthew said yes. He doesn't know what he's in for. Uh so yeah, I think I think that's an episode. I think we did pretty good here. Uh, any last final ending word? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I just think this is a this is if you want to have a bad time, this is a good movie to have a bad time with, and it you know is a little witchy and seasonally appropriate. And remember, everybody, if you flay your goats, uh, make sure to hang them up so they can dry. <laughs>